Hi everyone, I'm Charlie Boyd and welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted just to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. When you are stuck in the middle of a descending plot line, number one, accept the fact, accept the fact that you won't always make perfect choices. You won't always get it right. Now, I love what Eugene Peterson says about the people we read about in Scripture. He writes, in Scripture, we find neither moral examples nor impeccable virtuous models. Abraham lied, Moses murdered, Jacob cheated, Judah went to a prostitute, Peter turned out to be his daughter-in-law, Peter blasphemed, David lied and deceived, and later he'll commit adultery and be involved in a murder plot to cover it up. Peterson continues, he says, what we find in scripture is not perfection, but correction. Each person is challenged by God to live a uniquely glorious life of faith in relationship with him. David made mistakes. David sinned to save his own skin. David's lies and deceit cost people their lives. My point being, when the plot line of your life looks like this, accept the fact that you may not always respond in faith. You, you, you may not always say the right thing or, or do the right thing. You will say stupid things and you'll do stupid things that hurt other people and you'll take matters into your own hands and try to make the pain go away. You'll sin and you'll mess up and you'll make more messes. Now hear me, you need to listen to this. I am not saying that's okay. I'm not making excuses for sin. Nothing I'm saying justifies the bad decisions that I make or you make or the avalanche of hurt that we bring into our own lives or the lives of people who don't, when we don't get it right. No, you absolutely cannot take this first point and, 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 and say when you get yourself in a mess of your own making, you cannot say, well, nobody's perfect. That's not my point. But we have to be honest here, and this is one of the things I love about the Bible because the Bible shows us life as it really is. It shows us people as they really are. And yeah, as Peterson says in scripture, there are no perfect moral examples to follow. There are no impeccable virtuous models that, for us to try to imitate. In scripture, with men like Abraham and Moses and David, we don't see per- perfection. We don't always see clean and righteous hearts. I think God's showing us in this, people who love God mess up. What we do see is pursuit. We do see these people who have passion for, a passionate heart for God but mess up. We do see repentance. We do see humility. We do see men of faith navigating the ups and downs and highs and lows of their life. Sometimes they were unfaithful. Sometimes They had no faith, they were faithless. But we do see them own their sin and try to make things right 
like David did there in 1 Samuel 21. You see, it's in the descending up and down plot line of our lives that we learn to walk by faith. And I don't know about you, but for me, learning means getting D's and F's on God's test, but then experiencing his grace that picks me up and dusts me off and says, hey, let's, let's go again. And even more, they may be faithless, but God's always seen as faithful. We see that he never gives up on them or us. And we see that when, when we mess up big time, when we humbly repent and turn from our sin, God's grace is right there to renew us and to restore us. And the amazing thing is, in all the downturns of David's life and all the bonehead decisions that he makes, God never gives up on him. God continues to write his story, picking him up out of the miry clay, Psalm 40, and shaping his heart and forming his character. And in fact, it's during this up and down time that he's becoming a great military general, which of course David couldn't see any good in anything that was happening in the terrible 10 years of trouble, but we see something that David couldn't see, and we see that the plot line was in fact ascending. God keeps giving him victory after victory, battle at winning battle after battle, and it's Yahweh's grace and kindness that corrects David. Not perfection, but correction. Yahweh corrects him, and we see that he never stops working in David's life to make him be the man who would be king. Listen, God restores and uses people who mess up, and they repent, and they take steps to make things right. He has plans and purposes for people who struggle with fear and anger and sarcasm and lust and pride and dishonesty. He has plans and purposes for people who are stuck in difficult and dangerous circumstances, who feel overwhelming hurt and loneliness and sadness and anger and fear and shame and guilt. And get this, this is how good your God is. You can mess up and you can struggle with all these things and have God say about you, I see a man, I see a woman after my own heart. Christian, behold your God. This is who God is. This is what grace is all about. So first of all, when you're stuck in the middle of a, de a descending plot line, don't expect that you'll always make perfect choices. It's not the end of the story if you do, especially if you turn, repent, confess your sin, make things right, God picks you right back up and says, let's take that test again. Number two, when you're stuck in the middle of a descending plot line, resist taking matters into your own hands. Now, despite David's lack of integrity in telling lies to save his own skin, David did maintain his integrity when it came to how he viewed and dealt with Saul. Saul constantly tried to kill David, tried several times to pin him to the wall with a spear, tried to get his daughter, uh, Michael, Michael, uh, David's wife to turn on him, tried to get his son Jonathan to turn on him, tried to get him killed in battle by sending him in on uh, extremely dangerous missions. Saul was always trying to kill David. David had at least two opportunities to kill Saul. Situations that were so unbelievable where you would be tempted to think, God has delivered him into my hands. And that's exactly what David's rowdy bunch told him time and again. 
But David refused to take Saul's life. He absolutely refused to take matters into his own hands by killing Saul. In fact, he says a couple of times, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, he's the anointed one, but he still sees Saul. As long as Saul is alive, he's still God's man. And this comes out, that statement comes out of a story in 1 Samuel 24 where David was hiding out in a cave where, and this is weird, where Saul had slipped in to relieve himself. And so David sneaks up behind Saul, and rather than to kill him, he cuts off a piece of his robe to prove to Saul he could have killed him, but he didn't, and he doesn't intend to. It's absolutely amazing. Because this David's conscience bothers him about tearing off that piece of Saul's robe. It's crazy. Now, when you are living in a descending storyline, the great temptation, especially when you've waited and waited and waited and waited and there's no change in your circumstances, the great temptation is to take matters into your own hands. The great temptation is to do things your way rather than God's way in order to find some relief. Are you being tempted even now to take matters into your own hands? I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know the great temptation. If things aren't going the way that you want and you hoped and you expected, the great temptation is to take things into your own hands. Or have you taken things? Have you taken matters into your own hands? Listen, again, we see the big picture of David's story here in the wilderness. We see how trusting God's ways does ultimately work out for our highest good, and we need to trust in and rest in that great truth. And finally, number three, when you're stuck in the middle of a descending plot line, pay attention to what's going on in your heart and pray your heart back to God. Now, that's exactly what David did. You say, how do you know that, Charlie? Well, first of all, we know that David wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms we have in our Bibles, 14 of which bear titles that reference the stories found in the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. Like yesterday in our CBR reading plan through the Psalms, Psalm 18 says, for the choir director, a Psalm of David, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He's writing out his prayers. Psalm 34, here's the title, Psalm of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, another name for Ashish, the king of Gath, who drove him away and departed. That's a story. I just, I just referred to that story. Or Psalm 52, here's the title, for the director of music, a mascal of David, when Doeg, the Edomite, had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Elimelech. I just talked about that. He wrote a psalm about that whole experience, or more to the point of what was going on in his heart during that experience. And there are three more psalms with titles that correspond to the events here in 1 Samuel 18 to 31. So I want, as, I want to clue you in here, like as you read through these psalms, notice the titles. And beyond the titled psalms, commentators point to as many as 35 other psalms that seem to fit with the events in 1 Samuel 
and many others that fit with events found in 2 Samuel. So clearly throughout this whole time, David was writing out his conversations with God in prayer as his primary way of anchoring himself in what he knew to be true about God. And we're told exactly that. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, something absolutely terrible has happened. This had nothing to do with Saul. David and his men have been out on raiding parties, and when they return home to Ziklag, they find that the Amalekites have raided their city, burned it to the ground, carried off women and children and everybody else, didn't kill them, but had taken them prisoner. Let me read it to you, 1 Samuel chapter 30. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam, and Abigail were among those captured. And David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk about stoning him to death. Now I can't get my mind around how bad this is. I mean, life is bad enough already. And then this, they weep till they can weep no more. And then on top of that, David's own men are talking about killing him. But look at what David does, end of verse six. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now I take it that 1 Samuel 30 verse six is the key to understanding how David never lost faith in God. How he, with all his ups and downs, with his poor choices, inside that descending plot line, we see how David continued to hold on to his faith and trust in God. And all the ups and downs, living on the run as an innocent but condemned man, David learned how to strengthen himself in the Lord. Now, don't you want to know how to do that? What's involved in that? What does it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord? Okay, stay with me. Another question. What is it exactly that zaps your strength when you're stuck in a plot line like this. What is it that zaps your strength? Isn't it the hurt you feel, the loneliness and abandonment you feel? Isn't it the sadness and the anger and the fear and the shame and the guilt that feels like quicksand? Yeah, what zaps the strength out of you, out of me, is what's going on deep in our hearts and our emotional life. I mean, it's bad enough to be stuck in whatever negative circumstance you're in, but equally as bad, being stuck in the quicksand of hurt and sad and anger and lonely and fear and shame. And what most of us do with the circumstances and the feelings that conjure up, that are conjured up by those circumstances, most of us think that we can think our way out of the mess we're in. Most of us live totally in our heads and consequently we don't pay much attention to what's going on in our hearts but not David. He didn't simply pray out of his head, he prayed out of his heart. He prayed his hurt. He talked to God about how abandoned he felt. He poured his heart out to God over his sadness and his anger and his fear and his confusion. He paid attention to what was going on in his heart. He noticed and named the emotions swirling around his heart and he prayed his heart back to God. Now I don't have time to unpack all this, but I did notice something here uh, that uh, I had not paid attention to before, but the Psalms actually 
contain, I, in the first service I said four, I'm gonna add a fifth, it's not on the screen, so you have to write this down, but the Psalms are made up of four parts, really five. Praise, complaint, petition, confidence, and confession. Praise, complaint, confession, confidence, petition. Now, they definitely don't show up that way, the same way in all the Psalms, and sometimes one or more parts are missing. But as you continue to read through the Psalms in your daily Bible reading plan, notice these five things and put them to use in, their, in your own prayers, especially, especially complaint. We complain to everybody else. We don't complain to God like we are taught to. Now, complaints are called laments. I like the word complaint because that's what David did. David felt totally safe to complain to God about his circumstances, his enemies, his confusion, his angers, his feelings of abandonment, hurt, sadness. He complained and he boldly asked God, petition, to change his circumstances. And much of the time, he would bookend his prayers with praise and expressions, statements of confidence in God. He preached the gospel to himself but not simply to his head, but to his emotionally heavy heart. Now close your eyes and listen to Psalm 56. This is a psalm, and here's the title. A Psalm of David when the Philistines seized him at Gath. This is what he's praying at that time. Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. He's complaining. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me and many who are boldly attacking me. But when I'm afraid, he knows how he feels. He's he's confessing his fear at this point. When I'm afraid, I will, confidence, put my trust in you. I praise God for what he's promised. What did he promise? That he'd be king. I trust in you, God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Complaint. They're twisting what I say. They spend all their days plotting to harm me. Petition, God, bring them down. Confident rest. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. This I know, confidence, God is on my side. And then praise. I praise God for what he's promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he's promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life giving light. God gave us the book of Psalms to teach us to pray that way, to teach us how to take our prayers beyond prayer lists for sick people, our head prayers, to take our prayers beyond our head prayers that simply just throw up a petition asking God just to fix things. So read the Psalms, paying attention to David's heart. And then write out your own psalms. Don't just pray in your head. Pray on paper. Pray your heart on paper. Paying attention to what's going on in your heart and pray your heart into the presence of God. And when you write out your prayers, when you pour out your heart to God in praise and petition and also in complaint and confidence and confession, remember, (laughs) this is so good, because of Jesus, you enjoy a relationship with God that's even more personal than David. Jesus lived his life in what seemed to be a descending plot line, 
Oh, I mean, he, he started with great promise. Jesus grew in stature and in favor with God and people, but then he began his ministry and we're told he came to his own and his own uh, received him not. He was despised and rejected by the very people he came to save. And they, those very people arrested him and nailed him to a cross. But then God raised him from the dead and highly exalted him, giving him a name above all names. And he now sits on David's throne in heaven, interceding for us as our great high priest. So we can come boldly before his throne and you can pour out your heart to God. You can tell him how you feel. You confess when you mess up. You don't be afraid to lay your complaints before him. Ask him for what you need. Confidently preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of who God is and whose you are. And as we learn to pray like that, like David, if and when you find yourself in a descending plot line, you'll know what it means to find strength in the Lord your God. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church community, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org, follow us on all social media platforms, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week, and we'll see you next time.